And now for another episode, Heard It Through the Rose Vine, with your host, the creator of Black Rose Writing, Raygun Brody. Greetings and salutations. This is Reagan Rody, the host of Heard It Through the Rose Vine, signing on for another episode. And yes, we are still here. My co-host today is a social media marketing Jedi for Black Rose writing, Christopher Miller. How's it going this morning? It's going wonderful. It's a little rainy outside, a little dark and gloomy, but otherwise all clear. Good to go. Well, you grew up um, even further south Texas than I did, and so I'm sure you're on the same page with me in the sense that uh, rain is, for, for anyone in south Texas, rain is, is very, very rarely a complaint. So there's anytime there's clouds and, and wet weather in the, in the forecast, and there's a, that's a good thing. Well, I know you're not much of a... Uh... Uh, country music fan but there is a song where it states that rain is a good thing and that is very true at least for most of south texas so yeah rain rain is good definitely so i i was um so we were going through some of our back catalog and looking at just some of the titles, trying to clean up, um, just you know, check some of our backlist type backlist titles, and um, I found some interesting was just just uh, you know some interesting notes on what is the oldest Black Rose writing title. Now I don't know if you know the answer to that. You can take a shot if you want. Uh, or you can just give me a straight pass. It's whatever you want to do here. Well, I'm I'm gonna have to take a straight pass because I, I just I'm, I'm not even gonna get close. I think. So the oldest yeah, active about. Black Rose writing title, uh, that it's being fully distributed. Everything um, author is Civil Warriors by Tracy Ball. So that shows the lifespan of a really good book and a good author and. and uh, that book was published in 2009 by Black Rose Writing. It was one of our first uh, 30 titles published. Wow. So that that uh, is certainly a title I'm familiar with, but would have never guessed that it was that long ago that it got published. Yes, and we actually republished it, but that is the oldest title. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say my, uh, just like off the top of my head, it would have been, um, uh, I, well, I just forgot the title. Um, one that we talk about all the time, it, the, 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 the nonfiction um, kind of, uh, well, I'm lost. Oh, Battle Him? Yeah, there you go. That's the one. <laughs> lost. Battle Him? In my head and it. Yeah, Battle Hymn should be on my list, so I'm trying to recycle through. But Civil Warriors by Tracy Ball is 2009. That's the only 2009. Um, There are, there is an older title, but it was it um, by this uh, little known author named Reagan Rohde, and so we're not counting those. Reagan Rohde books, uh, but yeah, so so Civil Warriors is, is the oldest, and then we got 2010, we've got uh, Val Conrad's Blood of Like Souls, 
which is also having a really good year with Civil Warriors. And then we've got Wayne Skarka and Butch Campsey's The uh, Sheriff's Son was 2010. That's still active. Um, and then I'm going through the list to see our next one, but I'm pretty sure. Oh, Val Conrad's on the list again with Tears of Light Souls. So her second book is the fourth oldest. And the fifth oldest title is Hell's Doctor by Lee Jordan, mm. which that is getting edited right now. And Hell's Doctor is in the process of getting a complete reboot. Um, and some of the other older titles have all gotten that reboot. We need Hell's Doctor to get that same uh, reboot, maybe just a refreshment on the cover and then a new edited version and, and see, because uh, it's a really good story. It just uh, needs to be tightened up. So yeah, and that can make an appearance at the uh, Frightmare here in September, for sure. So number six on the list, oldest title is "Battle Hymn" by John Skur and Dane Phillips. That's 2011 publication. Okay, and let's see if we can get ten out of this. Let's see. Number seven on the list is Lieth Jordan again with Coronation. That's his suspense thriller, and that one, again, could use a little uh, – uh, we're working on getting that one updated as well, but it's a great story. Just the uh, the tightening would make it, um, I think, something that could actually sell well. So I forgot what number I'm on. I think I'm on number eight. Number eight would be Val Conrad with Promises of Light Soul. So book three in her series was published in 2012. So, again, book five in Val Conrad's series, the long-awaited book five, releases in October of this year. So that's good. So we are number nine is Brady Needs a Nightlight by Brian Barlett's 2013 publication. A good one. Good Mom's Choice Award-winning children's book. Some good books on this list so far. This is a good list. And then number 10, Val Conrad with Secrets of Light Souls. So Val's got four of the 10 oldest books on the list. Secrets of Light Souls. Um, or no, she's got, did I say four or three? Is that four? Yeah, four of the 10 yeah, on the list. Four, yeah. And so that was 2013. So it's been six plus years um, since book five has. Uh, so she's in um, like the the uh, Patrick Rothfuss, George R. Martin category, not obviously on the biggest of stages, but for Black Rose writing, she's she's right there on the uh, making her readers wait six plus years, but it's coming. That's coming. She's one of the OGs, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> switching gears, if you're a, got another top 10 here, if you're a, Kindle Unlimited reader and uh, read, you know, uh, Amazon books on Kindle Unlimited. I've got our top 10 titles for the last 30 days. You want to take a crack at any of these? Let's well, I can, I'm, I'm almost positive what number one is. All right, well, let's go. It's got to be, it's got to be The Five Wishes of Mr. Murray McBride. 
Five Wishes of Mr. Murray McBride is number one for past 30 days in KU Pages Red. So, yes. After that, it kind of, number two, I don't, I don't know what number two would be. Maybe um, Climbing the Coliseum. Climbing the Coliseum by Bill Percy is number two. Oh, 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 I'm on a roll here. Uh, Number three. Mm, I'm blanking at number three. It's a horror title, and it's a it's a it's an older title. It's got to be Dollhouse. Then. Dollhouse by John Hunt is number three. So number four was a recent book, Bub. I think it um, captured you a staff bonus with the most Ooh, sins of the fathers. Sins of the AJ McCarthy is number four. Number five on the list for pages read is the oldest Black Rose writing active title, Civil Warriors. Number five on the list. Looky there, making an appearance. Number six. That top 10, top five are good. Yes. Number six is Special Access by Mark Hewitt, Duncan Hunter, thriller number one. Another great series. Yeah, number seven, it's always good when you got two on the list. And number seven is Nobody's Safe Here by Bill Percy, and that's book two in the Monastery Valley series. Number eight is a rising fast uh, because of a good book. uh, uh, Multiple book bubs had a featured new release, then had a 99-cent big book bub, and we've run some other promo. I think there's a, a free days coming up. So if you are a subscriber to the Rosevine and Black Rose, you need to check your free days. But number eight is The Disharmony of Silence by Linda Rosen. Um, number nine is another one of Black Rose writing's oldest active titles, and it's Blood of Like Souls by Val Conrad. And number 10 is is another um, another rising one, thanks to a big book bub historical fiction Promotion and it's Woman in Red by Krishna Rose. So that rounds out the last 30 days um, with some big, big pages read and some good books on the uh, on the list. So that is a good list. And, and uh, Linda Rosen's uh, Disarmament of Silence actually just had that big book bub on the 99 cent front. It did. That was a good one there. Yeah, I think we had um, almost 5,000 copies sold, um, or probably did over that during the whole week or whatever, post BookBub and everything. So that's a good one. Big numbers. So I got to I gotta back you up real quick. So the on the, the first top 10 list we did of, of oldest titles, you said that technically the oldest was one of yours. Was that the misanthropy? Was that maybe the tower? So that's a good. So because the the misanthropy book one, the tower, and two both got, um, I I pulled the paperbacks from distribution, and there's only hardcovers now, and because of that, the hardcovers were created later. They uh, just based on when those were released, it wouldn't be the oldest active title it would actually be 
my children's uh, fable story, Give Wings to My Triumph, was the first one on the, the list that was still active, like the same edition. And everything. Mm, okay. But yeah, I mean, that would be the first book that I ever wrote. So, yeah. Okay. And I only bring that up because I'm looking through my stack of books here and I have a copy of The Cellar Door and I have a copy of The Tower. And in The Tower, it says... To Miller and Weeks, I don't know how Weeks got in there because I wasn't sharing the book with them, but it says, "May the force be with you." Yeah, because that was and if and if that's not a mix, I don't know what is. Yeah, that was really a uh, relative to a uh, fantasy, dark fantasy series. Yeah, <laughs> and and if anybody's wondering, this was a long time ago that I got that book. This was well before I started working for Reagan. So this was uh, this was back in the the prominence of misanthropy. It was a sign of things to come. You just didn't know it yet. <laughs> um, but I can actually I can roll off of that because it made me think that um, me and Jackie uh, just finished watching The Mandalorian last night. And I am disappointed in myself that we took so long to watch that because it was phenomenal. Well, at least, and the music, the, the the soundtrack was even better. Yeah, at least you won't. Hopefully, won't have to wait long. I'm 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 anticipating the drop of season two or at least new episodes any time now. So hopefully, well, I've got an update for you then, since you don't know. Uh, it will be coming November seventeenth, I believe. Okay, so five because there's a there's a new trailer out for it. Oh well, you and Jackie finished the Mandalorian. Men and I finished the Expanse yesterday, and I was oh, that's another good one. Yes, um, and I was reading where there's a they finished filming like in February of this year, so like they're you know, they've started the editing, but the filming and all that's done for season five. So I read somewhere where there's a really optimistic, um, people think there's a good chance they might start dropping or drop the whole season earlier than anticipated because of the uh, coronavirus and, and, you know, what other like Disney and other platforms have kind of released some stuff early to try to get it out um, while people are home. Yeah, that would make so, that would make sense. More viewers at home now. Yeah. So, but worst case scenario, I'm pretty, um, they're they expected the release this year. So we got hopefully Mandalorian uh, and the Expanse new episodes coming before the end of 2020. So that'll be nice. So. Yeah. Uh, and if, if you haven't seen it, there's, there's a series called, I believe it's Lock and Key. And I think it was Stephen King's son. Uh, in, Joe Hill, am I right on that? Um, yeah, I think he did it. Uh, I don't know the name. That's his. That's his pen name. Um, but the the series, I believe, is called Lock and Key, and the first season on Netflix was great. Um, it's it's a little uh, more catered towards the younger generation, but it is still very good. Uh, it's it's it doesn't shy away from a little. Uh, a little horror, blood and guts, just a little, uh, but it's kind of a fantasy type deal, and it's it's very cool, very cool. 
Nice. I will have to check that out and see if it's something I we want to watch. Um, I've got to um, shortly. I've got to start commenting on. I uh, volunteered to comment on a pitch contest for Toronto Romance Writers. Uh, so the. It's kind of cool that they they'll send pitches on a designated page, and then um, we go through the pitches and comment and offer suggestions, and then any of them that are really um, really empowering, um, send them a little more information on how to submit to Black Rose and welcome to submit and, and review their material. But yeah, so there's all kinds of not just romance, but it looks like there's some sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and stuff on there as well. But, uh, yeah. So, so that's like a screening before uh, you send in an application type deal. Yes, and it's just something uh, the Toronto Romance Writers, um, their organization, reached out, asked um, if it would be something that I would be willing to do. Um, it's it's they're an official chapter for uh, Romance Writers of America, and so they have a a big you know network of writers, and and um, this is just something they do every now and then to help writers um, work on you know sending pitches and getting their stuff all in one place, I think. And then obviously I've committed to uh, at least um, giving it a glance and checking it out. So so it's a a win for them and so um and good good exposure for us so hopefully you can yeah. find a few uh really good uh, projects that otherwise might not have you know been submitted our way we've got um we have some awards we i think last uh, last episode we had uh bill percy um, as our guest, and we talked about some of the Maxi Award finalists. Um, today's guest is Mark Hewitt, um, the author of the Duncan Hunter thrillers, and uh, Mark will be coming up shortly. But we now have the Maxi Awards winners have been announced, and so I was going we do indeed give a quick shout out to um pete jurls um our author uh, for stanley and the magic spider won the maxi award children's runner-up uh, jeffrey pierce won the maxi award uh, for best horror joe barrett won the maxi award for best literary humor uh, andrew abner won the middle grade ya um uh runner-up for Runner Toro, uh, let's see, and then uh, Marinda Freeman's The Grief Train was the nonfiction runner-up. J.L. Cole, uh, the author of Silver Heights, was the romance runner-up for books more romance suspense. And then uh, J.R. Conkle, The Citadel of the Fallen, which is still uh, coming up to release in a few months, was the sci-fi fantasy runner-up. So, um, oh, and TJ Champito uh, won the best thriller with the Medina Vice, uh, Medina Device, which is also coming out soon. So we had had a few um, 
few winners and runner-ups. We didn't win the book of the year this year, and that's okay. It uh, looks like a fabulous book. But, um, so, yeah, so that's a good Maxi Award recap. And I know we've got at least one of our authors has won a Discovery Award, uh, the Indie Reader Discovery Awards, which is, which is pretty big and growing. Um, they're going to announce those on May 28th, so I'm not going to announce it yet. But I know we've had at least one author win uh, one of those awards. So, so we'll wait on that. What else you got? That, that's a, that's a, well, on the Indie Discovery, that's a first for Black Rose, right? Yes, I believe that, that is the first on that list. First, we might have we might have an author submit um, on their own and win and not tell us, <laughs> but which happens. I, yep. <laughs> but in terms of actually uh, knowing um, and winning a, a category, um, yeah, that should be a first. So, huh. you got okay. anything else before we get to Mark Hewitt? Yeah, just a couple of uh, tips and tricks kind of thing here. The uh, <clears throat> since I've had a lot of authors email about it, and this is good for this is good knowledge for everyone. But uh, since everybody's stuck at home, of course, the uh, doing book launches and supporting authors online uh, uh, on social media is 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 great. Uh, and it has actually been booming here lately. So any, any author thinking about it, whether they're a black rose author or not, uh, it should definitely take that and run with it. Um, and anybody who's just a reader, you know, check it out. Cause I, I know some of our authors do free giveaways, uh, for digital copies and you never know. You might find, uh, the, the next book in, on your list that, uh, turns out to be a great read. So, uh, definitely, get out there and if you see a chance to support an author uh doing an online book launch i definitely recommend it yeah for sure and then authors i i know i posted a few links in our black rose writing uh, facebook group but authors can be really uh, beneficial to helping other authors out at this stage i mean just other authors recommending titles you know talking to the other authors anything on social media and video and uh, that's authentic and just, uh, you, you know, not buy my book, but, you know, just talking about your book and talking about real things. Um, now's a good time to do it. Our guest today is Mark A. Hewitt, a retired aviation executive, college professor and military pilot. Mark's ideas for his book spring from life experiences his extensive international travel and an admiration for the unique quiet spy planes from the Vietnam War. He is the author of the Duncan Hunter thriller series, which have all been approved by the CIA publication Re review board. Uh, welcome to the show, Mark. Hello, Reagan. Thank you. You're, you're very welcome. We're, we're uh, very honored to have you on the show. Um, you know, very excited to continue publishing the Duncan Hunter thriller series. And um, I've got a few, uh, a few really good uh, questions for you, not only in the series, but as an author. And the, you know, the first one that comes to light is, um, you know, all of your novels seem to have a message within them. Um, what is, was the key motivation behind starting uh, the series with special access? Well, yeah, they they are kind of a uh, there's somewhat of a message novel um, 
but uh, uh, quite a while ago, I, I, I came, you know, I'm, I would teach college, you know, cl classes. And I came to the point where, what do you do if you knew the, the media and the government's response to an event was just an outright lie? And, um, and it just wasn't a, a regular kind of lie. It was a, uh, it was a political lie. And, uh, and the, the one that, that there's, there's several, each book is kind of revolves around one of those lies. And um, some folks have, uh, have written books and turned, made movies out of some of these things that uh, people uh, on, the, uh, on the left will, will just call you know, conspiracy theories. Um, but, you know, in special access, uh, when I was, uh, uh, you know, down in Texas and, you know, the, the events that uh, led up to uh, September 11th of 2000, um, they, they barely touched on the question of how terrorists actually got weapons aboard those four jets. You know, there was the there was a commission to determine that. But, you know, no, there was it was absolutely silent on how terrorists got weapons aboard those airplanes. And, um, and shortly after I retired from the Marine Corps, I, I worked as an airport security general manager up in uh, Cleveland. And I knew exactly how they did it and um, how the weapons got through the airport and why the official investigation ignored the issue. And, and, um, and then when you have something like uh, immediately after 9-11, we wind up with um, we wind up with the uh, transportation security agency. It's like nobody ever asked the question. It's like, you know, so four guys get on a get on some jets, um, you know, take down the World Trade Center and blow up the the Pentagon, and the and the government's response is create the transportation security agency, and um, and that is because they. You know, certain Islamic terrorist groups infiltrated the contract airport security firms, and uh, and so there's always there's there's always something, and you never get the you never get the whole story because, um, in the, to paraphrase one of my the guys I uh, I listened to on the radio, it's like one of the greatest powers of the of the media is their power to ignore, and. Um, so, you know, things like that, and it, and it makes it makes good. I think um, it makes uh, makes a good story, and that's what I do. Yeah, I agree. One of the the main consistencies um, in reading your your Amazon reviews on your on your titles is the mention of you know, having very interesting characters and that being a strength. Um, you kind of talked a little bit on this, but how do you come up with your characters? Well, my, my, the characters in my book are really composites of, uh, of uh, people that I have uh, fortunately run into. Um, now I have a, you know, Duncan Hunter in, in the beginning, I, I wrote what I knew, which was, um, I had been in the border patrol. I'd been in the Marine Corps. I flew jets. And so, you know, the front half of, 
special access was uh, was about ninety percent uh, autobiographical, but the the other front half of special access was eighty percent of it was biographical, and that was um, a gentleman that I I knew uh, I met. He was former CIA um, in the you know in the real world. You know guys like me that you know just out in the middle of Texas, uh, old uh, fighter pilots. You know, we just, we don't come in contact with guys from the agency. But where I was at the time, I was, I was running the Border Patrol's aircraft maintenance uh, program and, and um, trying to get the Border Patrol out of the, uh, out of the 19th century regarding, you know, their, their airplanes. And, um, and I knew that there was an aircraft that the agency had been, had been using for, for other aspects. And it was called a quiet airplane. And that uh, there's a whole, you know, there's a very, very narrow band of quiet airplanes. There's like two or three. And we're not talking about gliders. We're talking about powered, powered airplanes. And, um, and so uh, he, in my book, is a, uh, he's a composite character as well. Um, I went to the Naval War College and I, I sat with a, I sat with a gentleman that was a 35 year SEAL for, uh, you know, for the whole year I was at the Naval War College. And, um, and so the character in my book is, uh, is, is a Bill McGee and, um, and he's just a, he's just a wonderful person, but, um, there's lots of things that happened in, in his life that uh, uh, I, could, I could reference tangentially and, you know, create a, another character. Um, and, and so Bill, that's how Bill McGee became a, a uh, what I call one of, my, one of the most fascinating characters in, uh, in my book is that, you know, he's, um, he's just a diehard um, American patriot uh, in my book, he's, you know, he's the, you know, he's, um, he's a African-American, um, but he's the most decorated serviceman in, the, in the U S military, which, you know, it's, you know, has all kinds of crazy, you know, undertones, you know, racial undertones of, of past, you know, past histories, um, but, uh, but Bill comes with a, a whole treasure trove of things that he, is, he has been able to do uh, and uh, to include rescue, um, you know, the, the love interest of, uh, the, of Duncan Hunter. Um, and that's the, the other part of, of my books is that when, when I traveled, you know, I worked for a company out on the East Coast and I traveled to crazy places like Liberia and Afghanistan and, and Iraq, Jordan, um, you know, UAE. Uh, I've been to Nigeria, Angola, and I usually wind up uh, going to the U.S. Embassy and and dealing with uh, the folks at the uh, at the embassy, and so. All the all these things, uh, I was I was able um, to kind of capture what these people do 
in when they're working on our behalf in these in these um, in these foreign countries, and you know, Americans, you know, they they don't see they don't go to embassies unless they they travel and they get into trouble or something. But when you're but when you're a um, uh, a businessman, then you you get exposed to some of the other parts of what uh, what goes on in these places, and so that's what my that's what my my characters do. They are they're composites of of people that are out there, um, you know. Uh, the, and I would say the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I, I have a you know I have, like every every thriller has a has a fictional president. Mine t- just happens to be um, a little more interest. I think a little more interesting than your run of the mill. Uh, uh, fictional president. Yeah, so I think, you know, authenticity is a really big deal um, when it comes to writing. You know, I think I think anything that's, that's, you know, in a thriller or like a mystery and where you're involving something that's like military or, you know, CIA or, you know, forensics or, you know, talking about how China coming, how you know, procedure works when going over a crime scene, you know, any of those things, I think, I think, um, you know, real, real readers relate to that. And they, you know, they see through uh, phoniness uh, very easily, you know, they can see through when somebody, um, you know, it it would be like me writing, you know, trying to write a John Grisham, you know, law book and stuff, right. You know, I'm not an expert on the law and I don't know, you know, I don't know what happens first in a courtroom to what happens last. You know, you know, I have an idea of it, but I would have to do a lot of research right. to understand you know, how uh, how this whole thing um, happens. And so I think readers, you know, obviously can see through, you know, someone who hasn't done their research well. And I know um, I listened to one of the SPF podcasts and they had a, a lady that was now an author, a best-selling author, and she was formerly in the FBI. And she writes FBI type thrillers, and uh, she talked about which you know makes a lot of sense that you know she was talking about all the things that that throughout history have gotten so wrong in so many shows um, where it's you know just little things like how you know like like they call in the FBI for something that the FBI would never do or the CIA and like right, she talks about. Right how show, tv shows and, and books you know make that mistake still to this day they do it because they think people aren't you know smart enough to realize that um, you know that this is inaccurate and like how the fbi and like local cops never like they never get along <laughs> you know like that concept <laughs> of like they're always the enemy like a, like a diehard one it's always like diehard one you know where the fbi takes right. over and they're all they're all uh, not as intelligent as the the street cop <laughs> no i i absolutely i i i absolutely agree yes yeah so you're having your experience um, you know obviously you're writing about something that you've experienced and you know and so it's like yes um this is accurate because this actually happened to me or actually happened to someone around me um and this well, is how i have yeah, I, I really have been fortunate that, um, you know, wasn't, it, it, you know, sometimes career paths are just not, are, um, you know, they're all over the place. You know, my, I went from being, 
you know, flying jets to being an aircraft maintenance officer. Then I wind up um, looking for work and then I, I get this job, you know, managing the airport security firm in uh, at, a, at a major airport. And then I'm with the Border Patrol. So that's another eye opening event. You know, you just you know, it's related because I was I was in the in, in the aviation part of Border Patrol law enforcement. Um, but it was, you know, just it was breathtakingly wild and crazy because I did, uh, I wound up doing more than what um, anybody really expected. My, my, um, the chief patrol agent said, we're going to have to put you in a, um, in a collateral duty. And so I wound up um, being part of the department of justice's office of internal audit um, inspect program where we, where I would, one of a handful of guys that would go around to these border patrol, other, uh, sector headquarters, and I would inspect their programs and things like pursuit, pol you know, pursuit policy, um, the canine, um, uh, and the, the, um, um, the, 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 they call them operational test pieces, OTPs, where they actually use like black tar heroin and it's wrapped up in, tightly in a, um, in a, in tape. And that this is what they do to, they hide the, they hide these things, these OTPs for dogs to, uh, to find them. And that's how you train dogs to, uh, you know, to, you know, the drug dogs. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just, I've just, I've just been very fortunate to, to experience a lot of crazy stuff. And when you do international travel, it is, um, um, it, uh, and I had a security clearance. Um, you know, um, I'd been, I had my company that I worked for had done a little work for the CIA. Uh, I was on an NDA. I did, I did. And I saw things that uh, is like another part of the, the world that you just don't see. And so, um, and, you know, my manuscripts, I have to submit them to the publication review board, make sure I don't, you know, divulge any secrets. But, you know, where I was at, it was, I, that wasn't my, you know, I, I wasn't in the, uh, I, I wasn't like an Eric Snowden type that had secrets at his fingertips. You know, I was, I was the guy that was trying to get, um, you know, like uh, fuel tanks built for, uh, uh, for some aircraft in a, uh, in a different country, you know, think, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, just, uh, unusual stuff, but, um, when it's an experience and you can relate that in your books and tie it, tie those things together. I, I think that, uh, you know, um, I think those are fun. And I think my, uh, my readers, uh, love that aspect to it. So you, you talked about a few of the places, you know, you've traveled. Um, have you traveled the most of the, or all of the places that appear in your novel? I have, I have traveled to every one of those places. You know, whenever I would go through the customs, when I come home from one of my travels, the, uh, the customs officer would, um, he'd look at my passport, which I had to have extra pages sewn in because of all the places and all the visas I had been to. And he would look at me and he, he would look and he goes, so what do you do? And I told him, he goes, oh, that's different. Because, you know, um, guys that, that 
are like uh, special operations guys. They, they fly off of a, an official passport. You know, I was just on a tourist passport, but I was a, I was a businessman and, um, and, you know, doing, um, you know, doing basically business development for, for my, uh, for my company and things like, um, uh, running the, you know, we, we had a contract to run the airport in Monrovia, Liberia. And so my books always have this, this episode, you know, this little thing in uh, Monrovia, Liberia. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was quite, uh, it was quite something, um, when you deal with the largest runway in, in Africa, it was a space shuttle, emergency landing strip and it has a history that that's where they where they would um uh feed the air crews in, in world war ii and um and they would they would fly from liberia and head north and and uh, and give rommel and his uh, africa corps absolute hell and then fly back to liberia and get gas and food um just uh, that's the other part of it too, is that, you know, there's so much history out there that, you know, people just don't, they don't know, or they, or they, um, you know, or they just need to be gently reminded of things. Right. Um, you're talking about the planes giving Rommel hell. Your series has a few airplanes in it, um, but there's one central reoccurring plane um, what makes this plane so special well um it's a it's a y03a it was a it's a quiet aircraft it was built in 1969 um the guy the it's an army airplane but the guy who conceived it was a navy physicist um and they tried to make another spy plane or basically a surveillance aircraft to fly in um, over the jungles of Vietnam um, because they, they had, you know, satellites and U-2s and other aircraft that would, you know, scream around and they would take pictures. But, but these guys, they didn't do anything during the day. Um, you know, the bad guys did things at night. And so they needed some kind of capability to, to observe the, Vietnam, the Vietnamese and the Viet Cong and um, at night, and so they come up with this airplane, put it together really quick, made 11 copies through all 11 prototypes, sent them all to Vietnam, and what they were able to do is to fly low and slow using one of the first generation um, uh, night vision um, cameras and thermal imagery to look between the layers of the jungle and see what the bad guys were doing. And when they were able to do that, then they were able to call in naval gunfire or, you know, just let the, let the guys on the, you know, the mission planners on the ground know uh, which way, what the, what the bad guys were doing. Um, after the war, the airplanes were, <clears throat> were uh, um, basically turned in mothballs. One went to the uh, FBI, one went to, um, the Louisiana fishing game and where they, they flew low and slow and quiet and, um, and they busted 
um, crocodile or alligator uh, poachers. Uh, and you know, the alligator purchases never knew what, uh, what was hitting them, but they were, they were on camera. Um, guys in the, in the airplane were able to talk to the ground guys that had, um, had radios, you know, the ground the guys in boats and stuff. And, um, and they were able to, uh, to monitor these nighttime activities of, uh, of criminals. And so, uh, that was where the idea for, for doing some of this stuff, uh, came into play. So um, there's lots of airplanes, you know, there's a Yak 40 that's sitting on the, uh, on the up against a fence there in Monrovia, Liberia. I always thought it was a good place to stuff a, uh, to stuff a body. And so in special access, that's what I do. You know, Duncan Hunter mm -hmm. stuffs a body in there as an example. And I'm, it's I'm in aviation. So I know, I know a lot about the, planes and pilots and helicopters and flying jets and doing that kind of stuff. So that's awesome. Uh, do you have any favorite, uh, any books or authors that, you know, inspired your writing or, you know, your favorite to just read? Well, I will tell you that, um, you know, I'm, I, I was absolutely blessed by my, uh, my mother. She, um, she wrote, or she wrote, she read anything and everything. And she allowed me to read some of these books that uh, became some of my favorites. And we're talking when you live in Germany at the time in the, in the early and mid sixties at, um, you know, I got exposed to Alistair McLean, um, John LeCare, um, Ian Fleming, and, you know, and, and, and those guys. And so, you know, sometimes some of the nuances of, of a James Bond book would, uh, would kind of make me wonder what was really going on. But, uh, but when you're, you know, when you're eight, nine and uh, 10 and things, um, you start to start learning things, but those were the books that I always found the most fascinating. Um, but, but those, but those guys, you know, the old, the old guys, old guys that know how to really turn a, you know, a, uh, an Intel or a military story into a, into a book. All right. I've got our short story section. Um, a few rapid fire questions. Are you, are you ready for that? I'm ready. Favorite thing to do outdoors. Feed birds. So this has got to be a short list, but name a place that you haven't been to, but would someday want to travel to. Yellowknife. Where uh, is I think it's in, uh, Yeah, I think it's in <laughs> the, the uh, Northwest Territories. Okay. And it's name too, uh, and that is a. Yeah. An, from a and that's from a I'm a book in um, uh, Alistair McLean book so name your favorite sports team San Antonio Spurs oh awesome uh, favorite city in the United States uh, Memphis Tennessee that's a good one Favorite food in Maryland? 
the Chick-fil-A that was right down from my house. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm as big a Chick-fil-A fan as, as any, but that's a... Well, well where I'm at gotta, right now, it takes 70... I have to drive 70 miles to get a Chick-fil-A. So, uh, yeah, I uh, suffer withdrawals all the time. <laughs> How many crab cakes do you eat per month? Uh, I don't. I'm not. I uh, I'm allergic to <laughs> shellfish and other fish, and so I'm I I don't do any of that stuff. Oh my goodness! You need to come back to Texas then, and we can you know eat Mexican food, and you don't have to worry about all that seafood. And uh, I have I have to make a run to uh, Dallas, get uh, bags of Julio's chips and salsa, and then bring them back and distribute them to my children. I really have it bad. <laughs> <laughs> So, Mark, is there anything else you would like to add or, or plug before we wrap this up? No, I tell you what, Reagan, you're a, you're an absolute, uh, you're a treasure. I uh, I love you for um, for all you do for you know for us. Um, you know, you're you're uh, um, part of your author, sir. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, again, I'm glad we could connect this time. And, and Mark, I'm you know very grateful that you came on the show and, and we'll keep on marketing and, and selling some Duncan. And we'll see thrillers. if we can make some money. Yes, sir. So it's a team event. Right. Thank you again. Thanks again, Reagan. All right. Thanks, Mark. I uh, will we'll cut there. So uh, edit there and get everything ready for Friday morning. It'll, it'll launch Friday at 8 a.m. Central Time. And we'll share all the links. Um, but yeah, I again, appreciate you coming on. I, I had a good time. And uh, while I've got you, I didn't know if you had any other questions regarding books and what's going on. Um, but let me know. If not, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Did I lose you? Hello. I have a cutout here. Oh, maybe In a couple of weeks, our guest will be Lloyd Cryer, the creator of Texas Frightmare Weekend. So that should be a fun podcast getting to talk horror um, and maybe how, obviously, horror novels uh, influence great horror movies. Um, please uh, stay safe and be healthy, and I will see you next time.